0: You may be seated. If you would, turn in your copy of the Scriptures or in the Pew Bible in front of you to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we'll be focusing in on verses 9 through 13 this morning. As we're looking at genuine love, which promotes Christ-commissioned unity, this series of Christ-commissioned unity started off in John chapter 17, where we read of Jesus' high priestly prayer. Where he prayed for you and for me that we would be one even as he and the Father are one. And in order for us to live out that commission, he's given us his word to help guide us in that. We looked at threats to the unity he calls us to when we looked at James 3 and 4. That these fights and quarrels that are among us come from our desires. Come from our desires for things that we want. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, These can be dangerous threats if we don't solve the worship disorder that really is at the root. And then we went to the end of Romans chapter 12 to look at bitterness. Look at how bitterness is born. Look at how bitterness grows and how to kill bitterness in our lives. Bitterness is such a danger that we face. That if we don't respond rightly to the hurts that are done to us, through practicing forgiveness, the forgiveness that we've received from Christ extended to someone else, if we don't learn how to deal with bitterness, it is going to enslave us, entrap us. Well, one of the ways in which God equips us to better practice the unity that he calls us to is to help us to understand and to live out what biblical love is. What is true love as portrayed by the scriptures? And I couldn't think of a better passage to go to then Romans 12, 9 to 13. You could go to 1 Corinthians 13 and look at that love chapter that's read at so many um, weddings. Um, the book of 1 John is full of God's command to love and to love one another. You could do a survey of all the love one another's or the one another's of scripture and you'll be able to really be encouraged and edified. But I think that this chapter Romans chapter 12, In this particular section, the 9 through 13, will, will help us get a handle on Christ-commissioned unity and the love that promotes it. Follow along as I read Romans twelve nine to 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your word which is breathed out by you, it's profitable for us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, the righteousness that we lack. Lord, we thank you for your word that it is attended by your spirit so that we can understand it as your spirit opens our blinded eyes to see the truth. Lord, we thank you that you have empowered us by your indwelling Holy Spirit to live transformed lives, to live by the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead at work in our lives. So, Lord, we confess we are weak, but you are strong. We pray that you would help us to live lives that would honor you, glorify you, and that we would do so not to bring attention to ourselves or our own goodness, but to point squarely to the glory of our Father in heaven. So, Lord, uh, assist us this morning to know and understand what you say to us, but then Enable and empower us to live out these truths. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you remember, based on our last time in discussing battling bitterness from Romans 12, that there's a particular context to Romans 12 that we have to, have to keep in mind. That Romans 12, 1 and 2 set the stage for all the do's and don'ts, all the commands that we're going to look at today that if you don't have the right foundation for living and doing the Christian life, you're going to miss the mark. And in fact, it's going to be impossible for us. If you remember, Romans 12, 1 and 2 tell us that this is an appeal from Paul the Apostle. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, making sure that we understand. This is to fellow believers. This is not just a general admonition to culture at large, Christian this is for you. As a brother in Christ, Paul is saying to us, I appeal to you as brother in Christ, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies. Live in such a way that honors God. And he's going to spell that out for us. But he makes this appeal by the mercies of God if we don't take into account the mercies of God, we might think that God is telling us, do all these things, love in all these ways, and then I will accept you. Then I will love you. Then I will call you my own. And that's not farther from the truth. It's because he has shown us mercy that then we can live out of that grace that he has given us, that we can live lives honoring to him because of his love for us. We love him. Because he first loved us. So by the mercies of God, we're presenting our bodies. We're living our lives. This is our spiritual act of worship. And he tells us how this change is going to happen. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This transformational change is not self-help. This isn't just fixing ourselves up. This is how God radically change us from the inside to the outside. It's not just about the surface change of saying the right things, doing the right things. It's about thinking and believing, being renewed in the spirit of our minds so that we live transformed lives, different because of God's work in us, showing outside of us. So that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And brothers and sisters, if you're wondering what the will of God is for your life, Like so many times we get into these quandaries of what the next step is, which person to marry, which job to take, which school to attend, where to send our kids. Those questions often don't have direct answers. Nathan, you ought to do this according to what... we, We don't have that revelation of the will of God, but when God does say this is the will of God, we ought to pay attention. And this call to love others... In this manner is the will of God for you. So listen, follow along, be engaged. Love, love is something that our world has talked about since the dawn of time. Stories are written, songs are sung, poems composed. From the most erudite philosopher to the pop star, everybody anywhere has an opinion on what love is, how to live, in love. All you need is love. There's so many takes on what love is. And I'm concerned that in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have slowly incorporated the world's definition of what love is into our own thinking. And sometimes we need a restart. Sometimes we need a reboot to get us squarely in line with what God says about love and then live out in that way. I think some of our unity in the body is compromised because we're not living out biblical love. We're living out some other aberration or perversion of love. The true love that God's word describes for us. We're going to see this morning from Romans chapter 12 that biblical love is sincere. It's affectionate. It's active. And it's committed. Let's look at the sincerity of that love. Verse 9 let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Sincere love is genuine love. This word particularly means unhypocritical, unsuperficial. I don't know if that second one is a word. The word calls us to get rid of everything that's fake and to be genuine, to be real with one another. It's so easy for us to slip into this mentality of just saying the right thing and maybe even doing the right thing, but not being genuinely motivated by God's kind of love. Biblical love is genuine love. Well how do we know love? First John three sixteen to eighteen. John three sixteen says God so loved the world. First John three sixteen starts off, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Genuine love shows itself in more than just talk. It shows itself in action. And that action mirrors the action that God showed us love by sending his son as a ransom for us and laid down his life for us, ought we then to lay down our lives for our brothers? I was reading a southern preacher talk about his culture and as Aaron has been uh, opened our eyes a little bit to if you've lived in the south, there can be a propensity to maybe a, a sweet sentimentality and a bless-their-heart kind of feel to love that, that doesn't seem genuine, it doesn't seem real, it doesn't seem um, anything more than superficial. I mean, we've probably gone to the coffee table and maybe you've gone through all the sweeteners and wanting the genuine article sugar, you have to settle for NutraSweet, or somebody in their um, desire maybe for a healthier lifestyle will use margarine. Although margarine's not healthy anymore, right? you got to stay up with the times. Real butter is what you long for. And anything that's not the real article just seems not right. Genuine butter. I'm getting you hungry here, but this is the ultimate for me. It's like thinking that Buffalo Wild Wings is the genuine article when it comes to chicken wings, and it's not. Please do not confuse that. I mean, a chicken wing that's crisp on the outside and is dipped in Frank's hot sauce and slathered in blue cheese, not this ranch stuff, blue cheese, that's the real deal. That's the genuine. Don't settle for anything less than that, please. Well, that's what we're seeing about love. Paul wants us to not settle for anything that the culture has to offer or any cheap imitation or knockoff. Let's have real, genuine love for one another. Now, if you were to look at the second sentence of verse 9, you might be confused. Why is it in this context of love? It says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. What does that have to do with love? Sincere love is discerning love. Discerning love says, what God calls evil, I need to abhor. And that's a strong word that's used here in verse 9. And that which is good, I need to hold fast to that, cling to that, not let it go. You see, love doesn't call wrong right in order to appear loving. It doesn't call good what God calls sinful. You can't call something that God abhors good and think that you're being loving. You can't be more loving than God simply by thinking that you can call something wrong right. It's a profound mistake that if we don't accept or condone or celebrate a behavior that God says is sin then we're somehow being unloving or we're being hateful or even have some sort of phobia. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be mean and nasty. That just means that, hey, we understand, as Paul describes, such were some of us. Before Christ opened our eyes, we're just as caught in sin, just as blinded to the truth. And so that's why we're gracious and humble towards them, but it's not loving to call sin good. This discerning, genuine love is, marks the sincerity of the love God calls us to. Verse 10, we see an affectionate love. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That first word, love, is Philadelphia. It's that where we get the city of Philadelphia. It's the city of what? Brotherly love. It's that kind of love that Families share with one another. Another word that is translated brotherly, affection. That affection is a philostorge, which is a bond between family members. Uh, properly a lover of family. Philostorge means devoted love shown by family members. It's that special affection shared between members of God's family. That's why Paul called us Brothers. That he made his appeal as a brother. And out of love, I want to appeal to you. And that should define and characterize our conversations with one another, our involvement in one another's lives. It's an affection that's rooted in a relationship. Now, what is that relationship? That relationship is brother and sister. And I hope we understand that, that that's because of Christ. God sent his son to save us. And when we trust Christ, we are then called children of God. And as children of God, we're therefore brothers and sisters with one another. And those who have come before us in time are our fathers and mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith. We're related to them as well. We're related to those in this congregation I'd like to think of as, as immediate family members. But around the world, you're connected to other Christians whose Father is God because of the Son, Jesus, is the person they're putting their faith in. And so it may be hard for us to, to wrap our head around this, but last Sunday night when John Smith was here from a Middle Eastern country where he works at a church, he brought greetings to us from our brothers and sisters in that Middle Eastern country. Because there are are distant relatives, distance in geography, but as close as a brother or sister. Maybe you've experienced that because you've gone on a short-term mission trip, or you've been at a church in another country. If you've been to Moldova and you meet brothers and sisters there, they don't speak your language, but you know that we're connected, we're related. We have this love for one another. If you've gone to Juarez, Mexico, you, you know, speaking Spanish, there's still a smile and glow. Even if you don't understand the words they're saying, you know that there's a brotherly affection that we have for one another. And even in our own country, if you've been to the Omaha Indian Reservation, there, there are folks from a different culture with a different ancestry that can still call us brother and sister. And that's a deeper affection that we have even for them than, than our own flesh and blood if they're not related through Christ so I want us to see that connection and, and rejoice in that and let that build up our affection for one another secondly we ought to outdo one another in showing honor affectionate love is honoring love it says you first if there's a competition if we're going to outdo one another in anything it ought to be in showing honor I love that principle as it plays itself out at our Christian school. If you hit the button on the elevator and go downstairs and you look on the wall, printed in big letters, is this verse from Romans 12: Outdo one another in showing honor. As young people, our children need to understand that affectionate love that says, I'm not going to be first. I'm not saying me first. I'm going to say, I want you first, I want you to be honored. I want you to receive the honor. And may that be a part of our home life. May that be our attitude at work. Boy, that stands out when you're putting others before yourself. It's what Christ did for us. Look at Philippians 2 and see the kind of humility that he practiced in putting others before himself. Well, that's the affectionate side of the love. Look at the active love in verse 11 we're called to. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. You know, it's easy for us to think of feel of love as primarily just a feeling. Where, oh, I just love that. And and I have these these affections, I have these desires, I have these thoughts, but biblical love is active love. It shows itself in deeds of love and service. Do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy about your love. Instead, have fervent love. Fervent in spirit. This word fervent is a word that literally means to boil or boiling or burning. To be fervent about our love for one another. And you know, it takes fervent love to overcome the inertia we have, the stay-to-ourself that we have, the open-the-garage-door-pull-in-and-close-the-garage-door kind of mentality that we hunker down in, we need this fervency that Christ can stoke the love in our hearts so that we have a love for others outside of our, uh, ourselves. In this context, the word fervent means to be full of energy, to be on fire with zeal and Enthusiasm. One author says it's a warning against our settling into comfortable, shallow ruts in our spiritual lives. It's easy for us to kind of shrink our world down to just a few people. And you know, it's kind of scary when we get into a bigger group of people and a, a, a bigger connection to, to actually practice a love that is broader. It goes beyond that small circle. I want to encourage you to think, where is God wanting you to expand your sphere of loving others? That often shows itself in this last phrase, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Active love is serving love. It's putting yourself out for. It's extending to others. It's to yield obedience, to obey the commands of another. It's feeling myself bound to another. I, I'm a bond servant of Christ, Paul says, and that ought to be our attitude as well. Serving isn't something we do, it's something we are. We are servants of Christ, and so how are we called to love another person? And what I see as Paul's statement to serve the Lord, in this context, he's talking about loving others, but then he throws in serve the Lord. And I don't think our service of the Lord can be, can be just separated out from our service for one another. Do you remember how Paul, in Ephesians 6, when he describes how wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord? It's as if we should put the Lord in the forefront and the human being that we're serving in the backdrop. That when I'm serving you, I'm actually serving Christ. And so how does that transform your attitude How does that make you persistent in your love? How does that stir up your affection for that other person? Even when they're not doing for you, you're doing for them because it's not them you're serving. It's the Lord Christ that you're serving. Serve the Lord. Serving love, fervent love, is this active love. Finally, committed love in verses 12 and 13. These three go together in the next verse. Rejoice in hope Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. That's commitment. That's commitment that we're called to rejoice. And rejoicing is difficult if all we're responding to is circumstances. But Christian joy goes deeper than those circumstances. And it's as if uh, one author described rejoicing in hope. Hope is the atmosphere that we breathe in in order to breathe out rejoicing. And that hope is not in our circumstances changing, not in the people around us being nice to us. It is in Christ. It's in his grace and mercy. It's in the eternal that he has for us. And so in the here and now, we can rejoice. And we can also be patient in tribulation. This word means to, to bear up under a load. And some of you are bearing some very difficult loads, There's a tribulation and trial in your life that you need to bear up under. And that is the way that you demonstrate the love that you have been shown and the love that you have for others. And in doing so, we're all called to be constant in prayer. Not sporadic, not in sometimes, but be in prayer constantly. Well, Spurgeon puts together these Three thoughts in in kind of a, a, a beautiful way. He says that the old physicians tell us of two antidotes against poison, the hot and the cold. And they expand upon the special excellence of each of these. In like manner, the Apostle Paul gives us first the warm antidote, rejoicing in hope. And then he gives us the cool antidote, patient in tribulation. Either of these, or both together, will work wonderfully for the sustaining of the Spirit, but it's to be observed that neither of these remedies can be taken into the soul unless they're first mixed with a draft of prayer. Joy and patience are curative essences, but they must be dropped into a glass full of supplication or prayer, and then they will be wonderfully efficient. When you're facing tribulation, Does it force you? Does it push you to prayer? Does it take away all of the crutches and props that you have in your life and say, you got nothing but me. Are you going to pray? To be constant in prayer, to be rejoicing in hope, to be patient in tribulation. This is committed. It also we see contributes to the needs of the saints and seeks to show hospitality. That's generous love. This word koinoneo is to participate in, to make another's necessities one's own so as to relieve them. Remember 1 John 3. It says, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, God's love does not abide in him. So what are we supposed to do? Be generous with what we give. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Help them in their distress. And by doing so, you show the love that God has shown you. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Tangible ways of giving generously. You know, I get the joy of seeing how every month we collect a deacon's fund offering, but I get to sit in with those deacons when they talk about meeting the needs of others in the congregation. When needs come to their attention, they're actively looking for ways to be generous with the funds that you give so as to help people in their distress, help them with their difficulties and tribulations. And it's a tangible way that the body of Christ can share the love of Christ. And it is more blessed to give than to receive. We receive back so much when we are generous in our giving. That's committed love. And it's giving to the saints. It's also showing hospitality. Man, I don't have extra funds to give and to put in, but maybe you do, and have that, and be generous. But maybe God's calling you just to open your home, uh, open your dinner table, to show hospitality. Hospitality is a compound word. It means being a friend to a stranger. It's showing warmth, showing love to someone you're not close to yet. And so what can we do to Show hospitality as a church when visitors come in and we see them. Be warm and welcoming to those visitors. Once a month about we have a fellowship meal like we do today. And we invite visitors and people who have been attending recently to come join with us. To open up our table and our food to share hospitality with one another. That's so important. A tangible way to show the love of God. We see from our passage today that biblical love is a love that is sincere, it's affectionate, it's active, and it's committed. I don't want you to think, I'm going to go home now, and I'm going to see where I can make myself better. How can I improve? What do I need to do more of? What do I need to do less of? Without first remembering again, the love that God has shown you. We love because he first loved us. We have been made recipients of his mercy and grace out of that love, out of that mercy and grace. Where can you show love to one another? And so develop, build, strengthen the unity that Jesus wants us to have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us your children, your sons and daughters for adopting us into your family. And Lord, I thank you that in this family you've called us to love one another deeply. Lord, I pray that as we grow in our love for you that that would just overflow in our lives towards one another, that we would grow in our love for others. Lord, would you guard our hearts from going away from this text complaining about not being loved, and make us actively engaged in looking for ways in which we can love others. Empower us by your Spirit and fill us, strengthen us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn of response is hymn 599. We'll stand together and sing, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us, verses 1 and 2.